What's up, everybody? Welcome to the 61st draft of the Untitled Movie Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Matt Rohrbeck, alongside my BFCA bubbly Eric March. I knew you were going to say that. I just <laughs> knew you were going to do that. Uh, what's uh, up, buddy? Well, we're uh, just enjoying some of this uh, delicious, as you mentioned, bubbly. I wish we were sponsored by bubbly, but we're not. Yeah, I just filled um, my fridge with different flavors of sparkling bubbly. Um, you guys may know the commercials with Michael Bublé. Um, I think owned by Pepsi. Um, they carry it in uh, Tiff, which makes me think it's a Pepsi product because they have Pepsi stuff. I'm going to read it. Isn't this the great content you guys wait for? We haven't been around for two weeks. And and uh, we're going to talk about... Yeah, PepsiCo. Got it. Cool. Uh, we're both having a cherry bubbly, yeah. Um, which I think is now my favorite bubbly. It's quite good. Um, it has a, a medicine taste to it, but yeah. without the medicinal quality to it, like that kind of like bad after bitterness. Yes, I. Um, we've talked about it many times, but we both have a love for cherry coke. Yes, um, you sometimes go the vanilla route. I think cherry vanilla. I, I like the kind of mix of it. It's um, it's smooth. I've been obsessed with cherry coke since I was a child. So when I heard about Cherry Buble, oh, God, I'm going to burp this entire episode. Um, Skeptical had one, and I'm like, this shit is excellent. And it, like, I'm trying to, again, I, I mentioned this on one of our reviews. You guys can check out, um, if you like this nonsense, we have another <laughs> podcast that's called uh, Untitled Movie Reviews, where we review movies. Tons of new reviews up there right now. We have new reviews for uh, The Invisible Man, uh, Call of the Wild, um, uh, downhill. You're gonna say um, downfall again. <laughs> uh, uh, there'll be a review up for Onward probably on Saturday. We got your Sonic the Hedgehog. We got Birds of Prey. Yeah. We got Bad Boys for Life. Uh, we got Doolittle. Do so there's Cats. Well, yeah, everything but Cats 2020 movie. So go check out those on Untitled Movie Reviews. Um, and if you didn't know, this is the Untitled Movie Podcast. Usually each week, Eric and I get together and shoot the shit about what's going on. We talk about soda water, sometimes cereals, other times mostly the entertainment industry and new trailers and different things like that. Great show coming up. Some cool trailers to talk about. Interesting news. Uh, Indiana Jones stuff. Bob Iger stuff. Star yep. Wars stuff. Uh, what the hell is Suicide Squad's about? David Ayer got yeah. to be a goalie for a day. Really? I don't know. Sure. Oh, I thought David Ayer was... Oh, God, you're, you're <laughs> referencing uh, David Ayres. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yes, and I kept thinking David Ayer when that happened. Well, when too, I saw so. that, I was like, oh. So we have the Leaf game on in the background, as I usually do when we're recording, because we, I plan awful days to do this. Um, yeah, on Saturday night, I, I mean, we can kick it off of what's going on, because we haven't recorded in two weeks, I think. Um, something like that. So thank you all for being patience. We, uh, patient. We apologize, but we'll try to get back to a regular scheduled uh programming uh yeah saturday night i went out to laser quest that's another story but um we went to a wing restaurant like a chicken wing sports bar thing with nevis's friends beforehand and i watched that hockey game uh, for those of you that don't know what we're talking about saturday night the leafs played the carolina hurricanes on hockey night in canada uh the leafs were losing um 3-1 i think it was 3-1 or 4-1 um and both Carolina Hurricanes goalies got injured and they had to call an emergency backup which was the Zamboni driver for the Toronto Marlies so he is an MLSE employee employed and director the, of Suicide Squad uh yeah 
Uh, and he's employed by the Toronto Maple Leafs, and he had to go in net and play against the Toronto Maple Leafs. And uh, the Leafs ended up losing that game, and I almost lost 10 years off of my life because I was yelling so much at the TV. <laughs> I couldn't believe my eyes, and I'm so happy for that dude. He went on this giant media tour. He went on Colbert. He went on fucking every sports show and regular news show and late night show. And I'm like, happiest 42 year old guy had a kidney transplant a couple years ago. Uh, has been like the Zamboni driver for the Marlies forever. He's been kind of like a goalie, not a goalie coach, but just a guy who goes out and practices with the team sometimes. So like such a cool story, but of course it happens to the Toronto Maple Leafs. And it's just such a Toronto Maple Leafs thing to do is like, lose to a zamboni driver and it makes no fucking sense who sounds like the director of suicide squad so i almost had an aneurysm on saturday and then i played laser tag for half an hour and i made friends with this kid named cody and he was like 10 years old and we were fucking sniping from the top and i came in eighth place so that was my weekend wow what have you been up to the last couple weeks not a whole lot other than just kind of you know going through the motions of life and Wondering when it's all going to end. Stop. It's so depressing. <laughs> um, nothing you've been, not been Not, not really. Yeah. I mean, it's just the time Still of year, hibernation man. Yeah. I'm, I'm, and even more so right now where like it feels like winter has finally got to Canada. Because we've had days right. where it has almost been like spring weather, you know, being, you know, eight or nine degrees. And then like just you know like that flip-flopping yeah and so it's really been affecting you know my allergies as well um i'm sure you're having problems with it as well i went to the dentist today and um i haven't gone in a real long time not a real long time but like you know enough where i probably really needed to go um because i my old dentist was at saint Clair and young um they were great uh i have been with them for six or seven years. Um, but I kept canceling my appointments like the day before, because I, I always had to try to go before work and it takes like 45 minutes to get up there. Cause I live in the West end in Toronto and I canceled it and canceled it and canceled it. And I'm like, I need to get a new dentist. Guess what? My dentist is now the next building over right beside that convenience store. <laughs> nice. So I went there for the first time today. Um, and, uh, they were like, is your nose stuffed all the time? And I'm like, yeah, and they're like, it's not allergies, right? And I'm like, I don't think so, because I don't get, like, watery eye or sneezing or anything. Do you get that shit? Oh, yeah, yeah. See, I don't get any of that. And they're like, you might have, like, a deviated septum or, like, something blocking. And they're like, you also have a very small tongue that's, like, tied <laughs> down. And, like, they kept telling me all this shit. And I already know I have, like, an underbite and, like, a TMJ problems. This is the great content you guys waited for again. Um, also, um, you have a small tongue. Matt went to the dentist. This is going to be the title of this episode. Um, yeah, they're just, like, you have a very, like, um, you know how everyone's tongue is tied down by that, that thing underneath your tongue? You know? Yeah. Yeah, uh, mine is very flat and very. It's like tied right down. Like some people can stick their tongue out. Oh, really? Far. Yeah, like I can never barely... knew that about you. There you go. I learn something new every day, bud. Um, so they kept telling me these things, and they're like, "That's probably why you have you snore, or you have trouble breathing into your nose, and all this stuff." So I have like this referral to go see a ear, nose, and throat doctor. These are the things you get when you turn thirty-one, and they're like, "You should probably pay attention to this shit. You don't want to develop like sleep apnea or something." Right. I was like. 
Oh god, and then I got my teeth cleaned and my teeth and gums are still sore. But um anyways, that was my day today. And I got up at six AM to go do that because it was at seven AM the appointment, but <sighs> Woo Other than that, what the last two weeks, I don't know what I've really been up to. Wedding planning man's coming up fast and furiously. I know, we're almost into March. I know. It's like three months away. Yep. That's insane. I need to. We need to go sh- suit shopping. I know. Um, because I need to. You and Kevin have to wear. You and Kevin are my groomsmen. Um, my sister also, but she doesn't. She's not gonna wear a suit. She's gonna wear a dress. So and she'd be a groom's person. Yes, yes, groom's lady. I guess you could call us groom's people. Yeah, you guys are all groom's people. You gotta plan my bachelor party. Yeah, come on. I'm gonna ride out in a zamboni. Yeah, <laughs> Matt, we got you David Ayres for your <laughs> Matt, we couldn't party. get you David Ayres, so we got you David, David Ayer. Ayer. <laughs> we were actually bringing in David Ayres to watch a David Ayer movie. Um, I don't know. Uh, nothing else? What have you been watching then? Uh, well, since we're going into that subject, I've been catching up with some stuff. Um, two movies that I had meant to watch that um, Shout Factory and... Um, Taro PR sent me. They were very nice to. I didn't get to them until recently because all my mail was going to my next door neighbor, Weird. and so um, he's an older gentleman. He's in his late eighties, and his son comes over once a week to, uh, you know, check up on him and help him out and things Is like that. The address wrong, or the mailman is just dropping them off. The mailman the mail was just person, dropping. Sorry. Yeah, the mail person was just dropping them off at, at the, the wrong, wrong thing. Spot. But the son came over and was like, "Oh, sorry, we have all this stuff for you." We, I I would have gotten it to you sooner, and my dad. And it was like no problem. It's a very yeah. nice man. And so yeah, so I finally got to what you know they sent me, which was greener grass and uh, first love. Okay. So uh, I'll start with greener grass. Uh, Shout Factory released it on Blu-ray through uh, IFC Midnight. It played at Sundance last year. Played at Lightbox. Right? Played at Lightbox in September. It was a post-TIFF movie. I remember that's why I didn't end up going to see it in the theater because you have that post-TIFF First sort love, of... the same thing, right? Yeah, yeah. And and so the, those were two movies that I wanted to see. But again, like you get that post-TIFF burn where you just... Or burnout where you don't want to watch anything because you've already seen like... 50 movies. films in two <laughs> weeks, so you need time to decompress. And watching the trailer for Greener Grass, it's like, okay, this is up my alley. I love Tim and Eric and movies yeah. that it's been compared to, or filmmakers like John Waters or David Lynch. It's like, I'm interested. Um, watching the film, I think, like, some people will be like, oh man, this is so weird, and I just, I can't figure it out and it's like well it's it's weird but it's weird for the sake of being weird um and there are some scenes that are funny or or moments that are funny but it is very skit like like it feels almost like you're watching you know like snl or something like that with maybe a couple continuous threads i know uh neil uh is it casey or cassidy He's he's one of the writers on SNL. Yeah, I don't know. Um, it was the main villain in, in Ghostbusters. Answer the call. 
Um, oh, okay, yeah, I know. Who yeah, yeah, you know who about, I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah. And uh, got a weird looking face. Right? Yes, yes. Uh, and Beck Bennett as well, who's a current cast member uh, on the show or in it. But it's written, directed, produced, and stars um, Jocelyn uh, DeBoer and uh, Don Luby, and they also uh, wrote and starred and produced. Uh, the original short, which actually comes out on on the Blu-ray, and sort of the main through line of the film is that you know the one friend played by Deboer gives her baby to her friend uh, at a soccer game or their their kid's soccer game, um, and the consequences of that. And there's also like this creepy bag murderer kind of like stalking the place, and then just sort of the eccentricities of you know homogenized suburban life and sort of the weirdness looking underneath. It's not dark enough to be a David Lynch movie and it's not gross enough for John Waters. So it's kind of like this middle ground of like there's stuff in there that works. I think the best moments in the film are like these either trailers or TV spots that you'll see flipping through. So like this is a world or a town where like knives are like a taboo, like they're, they're, you know, it's like R rated. So like the popular show that kids aren't allowed to watch is a show called kids with knives. And it's like power Rangers or something like that. It's like, you can't let them watch kids with knives or there's a video. (laughs) It's like a baby food commercial, like a Gerber baby food commercial where it's like all of our baby food is pre-chewed. We don't use hazardous knives or blades. (laughs) And, like, those things are kind of weird and funny. And then, like, uh, Beck Bennett's character is obsessed with uh, drinking the pool water because it's now chlorine-free and oxygenized or oxygenated or sure. so that's what they kind of come up with. And, like, it's again, there are some moments that work. There are some moments that don't. And when it gets to that third act where, like, things kind of go really haywire and then it leads to the ending it feels a little bit like well what was the point of all of that where the short watching the short afterwards it's only it only takes place at the uh uh the soccer uh field or the stadium there and it's done in like 15 minutes but you get the sense of what the story is it's told in a way that is doesn't overstay its welcome, and I found that to be more interesting than uh, the feature. So I would still recommend watching it as kind of like a midnight movie. Is it Tim Tim Robbins that you're talking about? Not Tim. No, 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 Tim, no. Tim Robinson. Sorry. No. Not this guy. No. Okay, because I was thinking of I think you should leave on Netflix. Sorry, I'm thinking of a different guy then. No, he looks weird about. though too. Not yeah. that I mean I look weird, but like like. He he has a distinct look. Like you would know him if you saw me as kind of curly, uh, orangey brown hair. He yeah, like you'd know him if you saw him. Like the whole time when I was watching the movie, I was like, "Where have I seen this guy before?" And I'm pretty good with faces, but he hasn't been in a lot to really be noticeable. But then when when I was like, oh, okay, they made a big deal when he was cast in in Paul Feig's Ghostbusters as as the villain. This guy, yeah. Okay, okay, I got you. Yeah, uh, 
And anyways, yeah, so it's 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 an interesting curiosity, a kind of fun midnight movie. Uh the Blu-ray special features has the TV spots and trailers separately so you could even watch them without having to watch the movie even though the context if you haven't seen the film would be stranger <laughs> yeah um but it's fine it's sure. it's it's fine yeah yeah i i meant to go see it at at lightbox as well and i think it was one of those movies if i didn't see it at lightbox i probably will never get around to it but um yeah, I just never ended up seeing it. Yeah, and and I feel the same way about the the Mike movie, First yeah. Love, which like watching it there was things about it where and I think we talked about it when we when we talked about the trailer, I was like, okay, this feels like a sort of thrown together 90s post Tarantino sort of neo-noir Flick that it's also you know a boxing movie, a run all night film, uh, a movie about sort of a character only having a short amount of time to work things out, and it's all kind of cobbled together in this one film that is is very short. Like I was surprised by how short it was, but it doesn't really necessarily like. <sighs> it just doesn't come together at the end. Like it just feels like you're getting all these plot strands that are just going their own way. And they're only being brought together because they're from the same script. And it's like, you know, the scenes with the Yakuza fighting uh, the Chinese over territory. And then you have this love story between a boxer diagnosed with a brain tumor and a young call girl who's addicted to um, meth and, and sort of their relationship and how that's brought together. And then at the end, when you have the third act taking place in like this almost home alone esque warehouse sequence yeah. where it doesn't utilize a lot of, the elements that are around them, like the way, I mean, even the equalizer did more, the Denzel Washington Agreed. movie to kind of have fun with that stuff. Um, I was very underwhelmed. I, yeah. I it was and the fine, animated but... sequence at the end, like screams, like we didn't have the money yeah. to do this. So we'll just cover ourselves by an animation sequence. And it's not as provocative or raw as some of Mike's stuff in the past has been like Ichi the killer where like there are gross and disturbing moments that are very memorable where with this like there's not a lot going on that you take away from it other than kind of again the cheapness of it but there I I didn't dislike it either same, like same. there's stuff in it that I was like okay well I like this idea as like you know a uh, neo-noir film noir style sort of event that's going on and how sort of the situation gets more ridiculous as things goes on. And there are some characters that are pretty funny throughout and what have you, but yeah, it just, it didn't have the staying power and it was a weird, I think it was a weird choice for midnight madness too, because it didn't th really yeah. have that energy that you would think a midnight madness movie should have. I totally agree with that. Yeah. I almost, I don't mean this because I thought the movie was fine. Like, I think I gave it like a three or something like that. But, yeah. Um, I remember like almost falling asleep just because it was in that post TIFF. Like, I don't know. I, it was pretty soon after TIFF it dropped at Lightbox. But um, yeah, I thought it was okay. I don't remember much from it, to be honest. And no. I don't think that's a good sign. And so. the Blu-ray from uh, WellGo USA has nothing on it. Like, it's just the movie... The special features are just trailers for other films, and that's it. Yeah. And it's like, 
you can tell that like this is like a movie between movies almost. It's like Mikay's like I have worked like, so often. I have free this. time between these three other films. I feel like he shoots three movies at a time. I can he shoot goes, this in between all those all, other in movies. In between the takes of the other ones. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but like, I mean, good for him in a way. Yeah. It's like it shows you like the guy is passionate and obsessive compulsive, and he needs to always be making stuff. And and again, it's not it's not a bad movie. I think like if this was like from a first time filmmaker, it'd be like, oh, this kind of shows some promise, promise or yeah. like it will be interesting to see where they go. But this is like okay but for from, his hundred and seventh. Yeah, <laughs> and you're like okay, <laughs> sure. sure. This is a minor work. Yeah. Uh, anything else? Yeah, yeah. So I saw promising. Speaking of promising, Ooh, yeah, promising young woman. Uh, which which you're allowed to it, talk about, right? I am because cool. there's no embargo on on the film, and I'll just give my initial impressions because I want to actually do a review, which we will once I have and I would actually like to get you know. A female perspective, a female perspective yeah. on it, so maybe yeah. like someone like Nevis could, yeah, you know, jump in, yeah, and, and sort of talk about what probably we missed in the movie or what sort of you know uh, or just subtext, bring some, you know, yeah, or bring a different perspective to yeah. it. But watching the film, if you, if you're not familiar with it, um, the movie played at Sundance. It's directed, written, and directed by uh, Emerald Fennell, who is making her feature film directorial debut. She's worked on shows like Killing Eve and is also an actor in her own right. It had the high honor of being on the Untitled Movie Podcast 20 Most Anticipated Films. Yes, and I have to say that it definitely lives up to being on that list, or nice. at least it, it's it's definitely going to be a divisive film, because yeah. especially between men and women and how men are portrayed in this film. But you have to look at it in the context of you know the uh, Carrie Mulligan stars in this in this movie as a woman who is seeking revenge and we find out why uh as the movie progresses but what she's doing at the beginning of the film and not giving anything away cuz it's in the trailer is she's going to bars and you know basically you know uh putting herself out there to men to prey on her and then they take her home and she teaches them a lesson and what happens there I'll leave it to to be discovered but you kind of learn that she's been building up to something and something in her life is going to change because she used to be you know a promising young woman at this uh you know med school she was going to be a doctor she's now living at home with her parents played by uh, jennifer coolidge and the great uh clancy brown oh yeah uh, nice. i just love seeing that guy when yeah. he pops up and stuff voice of mr Krabs uh in in spongebob and sort of how she's living she's living at home but she, she comes from a place of privilege and she's working at like this like crappy coffee place that's not a starbucks or you know a brand name um and sort of figuring out what she's going to do and then you know she finds out that a person in her life in her in her you know school years is kind of enjoying himself and is kind of coming back into town and and she decides okay well i'm going to act on something i've been planning for a while yeah and then also complicating things further uh bo burnham comes into the carrie mulligan's character's life and basically kind of upends things because she's not looking for a relationship at the moment and he's very charming and likable and kind of not 
an asshole. And so she kind of is trying to balance that. But what the movie is doing, you know, talking about Parasite in terms of how it takes these tonal shifts. Yeah. This film also swings for the fences where it's like sometimes it's comedic and also thrilling and also horrifying and all the same scene. And you feel tense and you're not sure where it's going and you think you know where it's going or you want to sort of basically predict where the plot is moving along but it doesn't go there and it does sort of a 180 on you or tries to do something different with the revenge thriller and play kind of in a an interesting pastiche of almost Almodovar like style where like the framing of it is very melodramatic and flamboyant and over the top at times and colorful and stylish and Carrie Mulligan gives an amazing performance and it's a nice reminder that she is one of the best working uh right now and it's a movie that i think will inspire a lot of conversation and sort of how bad behavior specifically male behavior and the male gaze um is sort of looked at with these like type of kind of bro-y kind of guys and what consent actually means yeah that's cool, man. I'm very, very Yeah, excited. so uh, again, I'm, I want to see it again as well. So uh, hopefully we can have a, a, a bigger discussion on the film when, when, when oh, it comes yeah, out. Oh, yeah, 100%. It comes out in April, Yeah, correct? Yeah. Very excited for that. Um, you also saw Emma. I did, uh, which uh, Nevis is at uh, right currently. Now. <laughs> yeah. uh, yes. We uh, kicked her out of the house so we could record. And oh, she I feel so bad. Emma. No, no, she had plans to see Emma. So, so Emma is the fourth or fifth theatrical uh remake of jane austen's classic novel this time with anya taylor joy as the titular emma emma woodhouse she's good and and like the movie knows i mean she has such a, a unique and interesting face that the movie knows to really focus on that especially when you know she's reacting to certain things and watching Emma, the thing that I got out of the movie, other than I, I'd seen the Gwyneth Paltrow version before. I mean, a lot of people know Emma because of Clueless. It's the same story. It's just interesting. Okay, yeah. Well, the, the, that's what know. it's an adaptation of. I had is, no idea. It's Clueless. So you've you've seen Clueless, right? I don't think so. No. Okay. Well, if you have seen Clueless, then you have seen Paul a version of Emma. But also the other person that I think thought of a lot while watching this was Greta Gerwig because both Frances Ha and Mistress America specifically that character has a similar those characters have very similar points of view where like they they come at things as if they are worldly and experienced and and know the situation and are either a matchmaker or take somebody under their wing and kind of you know help them out but at the same time they don't know everything and they kind of stumble and fall and have to sort of humble themselves as they go along and that's what the movie is it's very I, the best way to describe this and i mean it in a good way it's very agreeable it's very charming it's very fluffy and light. The costumes and the art direction is very much what a lot of people will kind of gravitate towards. Autumn DeWild uh, making her directorial debut, having been a photographer, a music video director uh, prior, kind of does uh, a, adds a little bit of style. I don't want to say like it's anywhere like in the sense of like reimagining uh, Romeo and Juliet the way that Baz Luhrmann did, but you can tell that it's very much you know millennium or millennial focused where like the characters kind of 
feel even though they're they're speaking in you know old english and you know they're it's it's still the same story but there is a, a a youthfulness to it a quality that does feel like it is from a younger group of actors that are being introduced and bill nighy as the uh patriarch is is fantastic in just a couple of scenes cool yeah uh, I doubt I'll see it. Yeah, it's it's not it's every not it's a, not going to be everybody's yeah. cup of tea. Even though there's a lot of tea drinking in the movie, and it's not edgy enough to say like this is like oh you know portrait of a lady on fire or something like that. But it does what it sets out to do very well, and and aesthetically speaking, it's very beautiful to look at. Like like a lot of people probably would compare it almost a little bit to maybe even you know Wes Anderson um, with the kind of the tweedness of it, but. Um, I found it to be very charming, if if forgettable. Like it's 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 a it's Emma. Fair. Full stop. Uh, quickly, uh, thoughts on Ordinary Love and Pet Cemetery too. Well, Ordinary Love, you can see my review at RogersTV.com. Um, it's a really touching love story between uh, a married couple played by Liam Neeson and Leslie Manville. Uh, Leslie Manville has been diagnosed with breast cancer and how they're going through that and how they're coping with it and how they're learning to kind of, you know, not only accept the diagnosis, but kind of look back at their lives together and it's a very kind of slight but at the same time emotionally satisfying film i think the performances are so strong and the movie kind of is contradicting that a little bit with like this very slick style that is going on sort of aesthetically around the film the cinematography the editing the look of the movie has this kind of like Hollywood style to it. Like if it were a studio film, okay. but the performances are very kind of grounded and didn't Liam Neeson lose his wife. Yes. Yeah, Natasha died. Richardson. Yeah, yeah. She died in uh, a skiing accident, right. which uh, was brought on from, uh, I think sort of like tra- brain trauma. Or yeah. Some, or something some like that. Yeah. 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 Which was really, which was really unfortunate, but it, it's a nice reminder to like Liam Neeson can make movies where he's not punching somebody in the face or yeah. rescuing a kidnapped daughter. And he is Leslie actor, Manville yeah. is so good. It's it's weird like how, you know, if you're not a Mike Lee fan or if the only film you've seen her in is Phantom Thread, another period piece that has a lot of edge to it, um it feels like she's one of those movie stars or or actors that's just been there forever and that you've always known her and she has a familiarness or familiar quality but she's not a giant household name no but there's she's just that's how good she is um so yeah and then pet cemetery 2 uh scream factory scream factory sent me it on blu-ray so i rewatched it speaking of clancy brown he plays uh one of the supporting characters an abusive uh stepfather and uh small town sheriff Mary Lambert returns to direct it. Uh, Edward Furlong was the star of it. The funniest thing about this rewatching this movie, and not even the movie itself, but when I looked on the uh, the back of the the package when they give the description of the film, it has the names of the actors that are in the movie when it's kind of giving you the plot outline. Sure, and then like what either their biggest movie is or. What, what they were last in, or most known for, or something, or what they were last in, and it says for Edward Furlong, Terminator: Dark Fate. Was oh, like, <laughs> that's so. Why? I, th- I, what I think I happened it, was but... it was maybe 
the 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 write up was produced before the film came out because the and movie was you announced knew he was in it but yeah they but they didn't know that it was just his likeness that they were using but I laughed my ass off it's a it's a bad sequel it didn't need to exist I appreciate that you know Mary Lambert was trying to do something a little bit different but at the same time she's basically telling the same story just with a new group of kids entering this pet cemetery and sort of mentioning the Creed family and it kind of goes off the uh the chain in the last act a little bit and and again I think the best part of this movie is Clancy Brown who you know spoiler alert becomes undead in the movie and how he kind of is played up as almost like weirdly childlike in a sinister fashion so yeah that's 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 what i watched cool all right enough of your yapping let's get to what i've been watching all right guess what i finished with nevis we finished all of the fast and furious movies that means in the span of what felt like not even a month or maybe a little bit more than a month uh nevis and i watched um all nine Fast and Furious films, um, eight of the main franchise and the one spinoff. So uh, since we last recorded, I think I talked about Fast Five, um, the best of the franchise. Um, but we watched uh, Furious Six, um, Fast and Fur- Fast and Furious Six, Furious Seven, <laughs> The Fate of the Furious, and Hobbs and Shaw. So I'll just lump them all together. Um, this is the second year in a row that I've done a Fast and Furious rewatch. Um, and I actually, again, I enjoy them more and more every time I watch them. And I kind of buy into the silliness. And, like, I remember, and I think we talked about it when I did this last year when we went through leading into Fate of the Furious of, like, um, or leading into Hobbs and Shaw, sorry, um, that when I first watched uh, six, seven uh, six and seven in theaters, I, I was kind of underwhelmed, felt like the trailers gave most of it away. Maybe I had enough Fast and Furious. But the same thing that happened with the Marvel rewatch, I felt like once you just kind of know what to expect and you buy into their goofiness, like I just kind of enjoyed every single one of them. And um, the one I found that didn't really hold up and I felt basically the same that I did in theaters was uh, Hobbs and Shaw. And I do feel the same as last time where fate of the furious i know me and you were kind of its defenders when it was in theaters but i think we both kind of come down a little bit yeah and like it's good i still like it it's still it's still stupid fast and furious but i just don't think it's it's as fun as some of the other ones so um furious seven um uh i still think like that paul walker stuff didn't work with me the first time but it's worked every single time since and nevis got super emotional i think it's because there's some distance now between fast seven and when it was released because remember when he passed and the movie came out less than a year later that it was kind of like is this too soon and and it felt a little weird right but then once you i that's a great point and i think that's it like it hit me both times the last two times i watched it and nevis got very emotional and we're and she's and i'm like why these movies are so dumb but this was a real life thing that happened and i I think it's a very touching kind of farewell to that character. And um, mind you, some of the plot points, the movies are dumb. And like 
the thing that I hate. I know is the that people they, go to the Fast and the Furious movies for, for plot. Yeah, but even then, I do. But I go for it how stupid it is, right? Um, but there's certain things like naming the kid Brian and stuff like that. Where I'm like, why would he name this kid Brian? It doesn't make any fucking sense. No, that's when um, the like, real life. Yeah, when I'm like, sinks into the script. If anything, the if you wanted to be meta it. like that, then just name the kid Paul. Yeah. Then the characters or Walker. go. Uh, yeah, or something like that, because then you just go, oh, the audience gets it. The characters don't think it's weird that he named his kid after his friend. <laughs> that like, It's like me if I had a kid and I named it Eric, but you were still alive and I just didn't see you that often. Right. That'd be someone would be like, the fuck is going on with Matt and Eric? <laughs> like, like, <laughs> um, that's a little weird, but like, it's just, I don't know. There's certain things like that with the Paul Walker stuff that bothers me still, but, um, or that like... When you keep him alive, I think was a nice thing. You didn't need to give that. You didn't need to kill the character just because the the guy who played him died, and it was a nice send off. But it it, it always seems to be the default too. It's like, are we going to kill the character off? Yeah. I mean, the same thing came up with with Carrie Fisher, obviously. With, right. You know, the rise of Skywalker. I should have called the kid Skywalker. Sure. Um, but but it's it's weird how like that is always kind of like okay, well, how are we going to write this character out? And how oh, do you we write kill him, him off? Yeah. Well, again, and how do you write him out of these of being like, why wouldn't Brian come help? Like, I know he has a kid. And, like, especially with Mia coming back for. Uh, for yeah, nine. Jordana Brewster, yeah. Um, excuse me. I keep and I think that's um, cool that they want to keep, like, the main cast intact. And it's just, like, it's just difficult with that, with, with Jordana Brewster's character because it's like, well, she's such a part of, you know, a shared life with Brian in these movies that it's like, and, you, it, how can you tear those two apart and i have a feeling that this will be very divisive but i think his brothers uh will play him again in this movie and they'll cgi his face onto him and paul walker will technically be in f9 uh that's my prediction after like an actual speaking yep role throughout uh no i think it'll be a small part um but i i will bet you whatever you want right now pizza or something like that oh i'm not i'm not betting against you i mean this movie some these movies have done some pretty dumb things and i feel like they would be the franchise who and their brothers would the brothers have already said that they would do that and honor him that way which i don't know if it's honoring or if it's kind of icky but if the the brothers are are in on it i mean at least the family is a part of it and i think they would have to be if they're going to do it and that's so the reason I think that is because the Han reveal in the F9 trailer being such a gigantic thing, I think is kind of a, uh, you know, a red herring, not a red herring. What am I trying to think of? Uh, yeah, I guess. Yeah, a red, a red herring. herring. Like of something like, that's a misdirection. Yeah, right? misdirection. Like that's the big thing that happens when I really think that Paul Walker's brothers, much like they did in Furious 7, will play him and you'll get a CGI face Paul Walker. Right. Um, in whether it's just the climax of the movie or if it's he's the crux of like i said this and i think when we were talking about the f9 trailer of like i think you could kill brian off in the opening with john cena's character and make everyone really fucking hate john cena but then or, you look at how these movies work where it's like eventually each character like, is brought yeah. into the family you know dom and him are gonna hug at some point yeah. he's coming to the barbecue and then john cena's on the team. and then charlie theron <laughs> will as well yeah and... everyone just hugging and eating drinking coronas yeah but i can't um, believe you haven't mentioned the other you know cgi character that's in the new fast and furious movie 
Lucas Black oh, yeah. as played by Terry Notary. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Lucas Black's stupid face pops in. But anyways, I, I really enjoyed them all. Hobbs and Shaw was the only one that I still feel the exact same about where I was like, didn't need this. It plays too much um, up on the comedy. Yeah, and uh, have you rewatched it since the No, I have it on 4K. <laughs> um, yeah, I watched it in 4K. It, it looks nice, but um, for the I most like part, both of the guys. Same. I think the stuff with Vanessa Kirby is is fun. Idris is very committed Her to it Rock all. and The Rock have no chemistry at but all. But when they bring in those um, cameos, it's like it's it halts the movie completely. And the the banter between them, it, yeah, it just doesn't work. And the the, the score comedy. is awful, dude. Yeah. And I remember I complained about it the first time, and I was watching it this time, and I'm like, who the fuck let them put this score out? And it's just like because it plays up the comedic aspect of it way too much, and it has that like bass guitar kind of like like during, and it's like way too comedic. Where and it's just Fast, a CGI fight fest at the end. Fast is amazing because. It takes itself seriously. It, right. It's not playing as a comedy. It knows right. it's ridiculous. Where this knows like, it's in on the joke yes. and it's trying to be that self-aware yes. action buddy comedy thing and it doesn't work. And weirdly as well, I think I mentioned this in, in, in our original reviewer when we talked about it. Those flamethrowers look like the exact same flamethrowers they used in Prometheus. Yeah, sure. Okay. Which is funny because Idris Elba yeah, that totally. used it as well, right? So. Th- that guy... <laughs> I love that guy love so much, too, and but... I just like, please pick better movies, mm-hmm. please. So anyways, that movie, um, yeah, Fast is ridiculous, and yes, Fast knows what it is. When you get Tarzan swinging with cars and people launching out of cars and dropping No, that was cars, Indiana like, Jones in the Kingdom um, of the Crystal sure, Skull. Sure, yeah. They, it knows what it is, but it plays it straight. Right. right. And well, I mean, what... we've talked about this before, and people have noted that it is a soap opera. Yeah. But it, it's playing it like I think some of the best comedic performances are the ones that are played straight. You're not necessarily trying to go for the laughs. It's funny because you're playing it in a serious yeah. fashion. And that's why comedy's people, a serious business, and that's why people love the Fast franchise. So when you take the Fast franchise and make a straight up action comedy, out and of you're it, winking at the and, camera yeah, all the time, it just becomes kind of like ah, okay, it's yeah, not, yeah. Fast and the Furious. Yeah. So, anyways, I I still didn't. Tyrese was right movie. about this one. It's not a bad movie, but it's just very mediocre. Yeah. Um. I also watched. I'm continuing my. I'm falling behind, but um, my DCEU in review. Um. So I watched Justice League again. <laughs> and, Hashtag release the oh Snyder Cut. God, it's so bad, man. It's so bad. I just. It is terrible. It's truly awful. How's Henry Cavill's and face this time it's around? It's the worst, dude. It is sucks. That movie sucks so hard. And like Suicide Squad, I think is even worse. But um, but Justice League is. I just... feel Suicide Squad, even though it is really bad, has more personality than Justice League. Like Justice League just it's is a wet nothing. Fart. Yeah, it's just it is so nothing, and it's ugly looking. The villain is Steppenwolf sucks none of them have chemistry together they're all like the only person i kind of like is ezra miller's flash and even then i'm like i don't know sometimes but how's I that like post credit scene i like yeah with joe Manganello with his white <laughs> was a fucking white uh beard and hair and, and bald like, jesse eisenberg oh my god can't wait for that movie oh yeah, wait wait yeah um so i i don't really have anything else to say other than justice league sucks um 
I have Aquaman, which I'm behind on because the in review from the kind of funny dudes are already is already out there. So, and Aquaman is one that I remember enjoying for how stupid it was and and silly it was in theaters, but I don't really have a huge desire to rewatch it. Right. Um, where I guess because it was more recent, I'm like not itching to sit down through that. And it's a longer movie as well. Two twenty, right? Yeah. And like. And I'm curious because the 4K has the IMAX aspect ratio and stuff like that. Like the frame opens up and I'm sh- it is a colorful movie. So I'm yeah. like, you know what? I'll throw it on my 4K TV because they had – you'll see in my deals of the week, um, there was a Aquaman Shazam 2-pack in 4K for 20 bucks. So I'm like, I might as well pay $10 each for these movies. Uh, Shazam I'm more curious in revisiting because I didn't like it. So I'm curious to see – like, because I know a lot of people do genuinely like that movie. Yeah. So I'm wondering if maybe – Well, you're a huge this. Billy Bats fan. Yeah. So, anyways, I'm continuing my DCEU watch. Justice League is hot garbage. I think it's terrible. Um, well, Wonder Woman 1984 will be released a week before we fly out to yeah. uh, uh, Venice. Yeah, so we'll see that Croatia, right before we yeah. leave. I think only a couple days before we leave. Uh, it comes out on the 5th. Oh, okay, 5th. so the yeah. week before. Yeah. So we'll see it then. Um, I also watched Hair Love, which won the best short uh, animated at the Oscars. Uh, very cute. I thought it was great. Yeah. So everyone should go watch that. It's on YouTube on the Sony uh, animation uh, channel. Have you watched it yet? Uh, No. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. It's cute. Very, very cute. And then I went to the Cinesphere to see uh, Interstellar in IMAX 70 millimeter. And fuck, that movie's great, dude. Like, I... I remember... Did you... I think we all saw it together, didn't we? Or did you go to the press screen? I went to the press screen. Um, But... I think it's weirdly, like, obviously it was very successful and a lot of people love that movie, but I feel like it's weirdly one of Nolan's, like, more underrated, like, of his bigger stuff. Right, um, and it and it came out, like, after Nolan had just had, like, hit film after hit film with Inception and the Dark Knight movies, and, like, after the Dark Knight trilogy was completed, so... Like, there was this expectation of him getting back to original fare, and it was exciting that he was doing, you know, a, a space movie, and, and and a lot of people comparing it, or thinking like, oh, this is going to be 2001. Yeah. And then watching it, like, I think, having re-watched it back in December at TIFF... You saw it on 70mm, the widescreen version yeah, at TIFF, right? I think what kind of detracts from it or the thing that kind of people will take away that is the negative aspect is some of the stuff with Jessica Chastain's character and like the emotion, but I like the emotion because it's very earnest. Um, but visually speaking, yeah, it's, it's a very strong movie. I think that uh, a lot of the scenes are extremely well directed and sort of just thought through in terms of how a situation would play out or how the time lineage works going through a black hole and yeah. the concepts are, planet, are the, yeah the water planet yeah are all interesting and, like, and i just the imax think, stuff is fucking incredible dude. i just think some of the emotion is 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 again it's earnest but nolan's not great with finding like he's he's not that he's not an open filmmaker like i think someone like spielberg has always been good with that stuff because he can balance both sort of the awe-inspiring moments with post-production with the tender heart and make you feel that. Where with Nolan, he's so clinical yeah. and 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 a great technical filmmaker that when he sort of gets emotional and, you know, Murph, uh, 
morph. <laughs> I almost wish I got more emotional than I did. If yeah, that makes and, more and you're sense, supposed to like, feel it in certain And I scenes. do, but like not like I'm not it's such a powerful idea and 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 I think it's executed fairly well, but yeah. I totally get what you're saying where he's not super great with um emotional beats. Um and the movie is more of the spectacle rather than I mean it is the crux of it is that relationship with the with the daughter and, and and things like that. And I think it mostly works. But um, you'd think with what happens in that movie, you'd be crying or teary-eyed or something like that. And it doesn't quite get to that spot, at least for me. Right. Um, but I just think from a technical aspect, it is one of the... Like, if you have not seen this movie, and I know not everyone has access to a Cinesphere somewhere that's playing it, but um, that 70 millimeter IMAX version of that movie is just, that is an experience in its own. Like, that full frame IMAX on a giant ass screen is one of the most memorable things, like, this more recent time um, than anything I've, I, I can remember in a while. And I wasn't stoned. I wasn't anything. Like, I was just stone cold sober by myself at the Cinesphere. And barely remembered the, I remembered the big moments of that movie, but Timothy Chalamet. Um, yeah. I dude, I <laughs> forgot he was in that movie and like, um, I don't know, just even all the stuff on the farm. And I love his, um, it felt maybe with what's going on right now in the world and climate change and, and everything that's happening. And it's, I know it was prevalent in 2014 when this came out, uh, 2014, right. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, as well, but I feel like the further we, the more time passes, the, the more prevalent that, that, uh, issue is. And I just connected with it more on that level. And I love his idea of this, you know, not quite post-apocalyptic future, but how that that dust and dirt is just on everything and the visual of how the planet has kind of gone to shit and just, I like that stuff on the farm and then going to the school and just showing how this world is living without giving you too, too much of it. And then the most of the movie takes place in space. But um, yeah, there are a couple great se sequences. The Matt Damon stuff is always weirdly funny when they're like rolling around on the like right the, but it's interesting thing, casting like, as well because when matt damon's character in that movie is talked about early on and then when we see him it's like he's the guy that is supposed to save the day and be the hero you know and and having cast matt damon and obviously when the movie was being made it was kind of a secret until they screened it because he wasn't even kind of billed in, in the main cast um don't worry it's three to three right now still uh <laughs> the hockey it, it was such an interesting piece of casting because again like you think of him as the leading man the the all-american you know guy and where that character goes is quite the opposite or a place well, against it and then also just thinking on top of that that the very next year both matt damon and jessica chastain would be shooting yeah. ridley scott's the martian yeah yeah <laughs> Um, but I think it's it's spectacular, and I think it's um, – I'll be curious. I'm going to rewatch all the Nolan stuff leading into Tenet. I would have done it in order, but um, uh, I just I, – I'm bummed I missed Inception um, and Dark Knight in 70 mil. Um, Inception, there's no IMAX footage. I know a lot of it was shot on 65, but – um, it is a widescreen movie, and, and it was projected on IMAX film, but there is no IMAX footage. Um, but I'm bummed I missed that, but I'm going to Dunkirk on Friday and then I'll watch, uh, 
I'll start with following and, and make my way through all the Nolan stuff before Tenet. And um, you were saying Interstellar was fairly well attended too, right? Dude, four shows on the weekend. They added a show. So I originally didn't get tickets and the Friday, Saturday, Sunday night shows all sold out. And the Cinesphere has quite a few seats. Yeah. 500 seats maybe or something like that. 400. Um, maybe less. I don't know. Someone can correct me. But um, it was sold out every single show. My 2.30 in the afternoon show was sold out for Interstellar. And um and all four shows on the weekend and and uh before the movie there was a um a video message from Christopher Nolan and it was like thank you for coming to these four movies at the Ontario Cinesphere I love this theater um it's please the, don't spoil the it's ending the, it's the first ever you know IMAX theater in the world and um it really makes me think that they are going to play Tenet there um. I almost feel like they could have a premiere there. Yes. I, it almost feels like it's leading to that. And uh, it's interesting because he's really playing up IMAX again. He came here for the Dunkirk screening at TIFF. He did these video messages before um, uh, all of his movies. They played the Tenet prologue uh, before a lot of these. Uh, I didn't see it on my show for some reason, but... Uh, they played it before Die Hard when I saw it at Christmas. I was talking to our friend Ben Shane. Uh, hi, Ben. And he saw it before a couple of the Nolan things that they were showing there. They were showing it on IMAX film. Uh, they might show it before Dunkirk on Friday as well. So, like, I kind of think, especially with... I didn't put it in the news, but there's a lot of stuff going on with Cineplex this last two weeks since we've been off. Um, some stuff about how they paid our boy Tanner Z and scene points. Well, not just um, Tanner Z, but, but even other people, other that... people to work on the pre-show for scene points. Our, our friend Sean Hatton and, uh, made a comment in that Toronto star article as well. I think it was Toronto star. Yeah. Um, and... Which Toronto star, another thing as well, where it's like, you know, they've scrapped yeah. their entertainment section almost completely. Yeah. And now just, uh, kind of take reviews from the U S correct. Yeah. 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 Other newspapers and things like that. Um, and then there was also the news that Cineplex, which we've talked about openly on the show, and I didn't think it was like a secret that they kind of strong arm themselves and strong arm smaller theaters into not playing, you know, first run films. Right. right? Because if you're within a vicinity of like a certain amount of kilometers um, to a multiplex, usually you're kind of. Um, Cineplex's response was like, oh, um, the studios can decide where they play their movies, when really it's this weird kind of like, well, if you play it there, we're not playing it at our theaters, so they always go with the, the multiplexing because it's more screens, right? Right. So... Uh, I don't know how exactly it works, but I've always known it to work that way. So then there was this big article um, at the Paradise Theater here in Toronto. There's a theater in Vancouver that started a petition against this stuff of saying how, you know, multiplex chains, specifically Cineplex in Canada's um, uh, situation, is is blocking these small independent cinemas, usually only have one screen from playing first-run films that their audiences want to see. And their argument is like, we have a couple hundred seats. We can only play, it's one screen. We can play, what, maybe four movies a day? Um, and how much business is that really taking away? And, Nothing. And, they're, they're, yeah. Um, Cineplex in Canada, there's there's no 
competition like landmark cinemas doesn't have enough like they basically have a monopoly as it is and then they strong arm these small theaters and people want to see first run stuff at the Lightbox or at paradise or at the fox theater or at whatever and like we're using toronto as an example cinesphere even yeah um and they're the royal not, they're not the royal and they're not allowed to play these things and what makes me think that i hope the times they are a change in and that like Imagine if we got first-run theaters, and I think uh, first-run movies at Cinesphere from IMAX, at least. And I think when Scotiabank eventually gets ripped, torn down, which is supposed to happen in the next couple years, I think. Yeah. Um, I think uh, that's going to change TIFF as well. So. Oh God, yeah, that'll be a something. I don't know what the hell's going to happen, but um, probably back to Young and Dundas. Maybe that's why they're doing all the refurbs and stuff there. Yeah. So. That's Those nuts. seats are nice. That, that's another thing. It seems like they're building up Young and Dundas a little bit more, too, to be their premier theater in Toronto, right? It has a VIP screen. It has a Limax. Um, but you could tear down Scotiabank now, probably build a smaller theater somewhere in Toronto. Uh, I, there's rumors of that one at Front and Front and Spadina, I think, or Front and Bathurst. Um, so anyways, I think Tenet could potentially play at Cinesphere because... If it is the studio's decision, ultimately, um, and Cineplex doesn't strong-arm them, and, and Nolan specifically says, I want it to play Cinesphere, then it could happen. Yeah. he seems like more so than anyone, he has the say when it comes to... And it'll be Could you imagine if them. Nolan walked into the Scotiabank Theater or... You know, any of the cineplexes, most of the cineplexes that don't do proper masking or have proper sound and saying, okay, let's do a, a screen test for Tenet and saying like, okay, well, you need, and Nolan saying you need to fix these things and the cineplex people being like, we can't do that. Like, oh, uh, the Leafs are winning, by the way. Oh, nice. Uh, They're 4-3. I missed yes. it. And so um, like. To me, it's, like I feel like if if you were to tell Nolan what was going on, he would have theaters, yeah. a shit fit because, like, literally, Cinep like that's the thing. Like, you could you could argue that well, you know, at least Cineplex cares about the movies. They don't. They don't yeah. care about the presentation. They just care about making money, and that's any company. But but you need to keep to keep making money. You need to care about your presentation. I yeah, think, the quality of the product and, that you are selling dictates whether or not people are willing to keep going and we we have this conversation over and over again that you know is cinema dying is going to the movie theaters dying because streaming is changing things the way that movies are marketed is changing things projected. the way that movies are, are you know whether it be concession or uh you know theater chairs sound masking these things play a part and from what you're telling me with interstellar being sold out and having to add another screening is that people still are interested in going to movies it's just even the movies experience that are needs to be better yeah. and uh, the imax experience usually is great and it'll be curious to see with no time to die wonder woman 84 tenet um those are all three movies have footage in imax cameras how that's going to play out in a city like Toronto. So yeah. it'll be really interesting. And uh, I will give Cineplex credit. The presentation for Invisible Man was quite good. The new seats at Young and Dundas, proper masking. The sound was very good. Yeah, some of those um, theaters, they do proper masking, not the VIP ones, but there are some of the, the, the regular theaters at Young and Dundas where they do take the time to properly mask those those films. And they have... 
even with the press screenings that uh, th- that they have there in the mornings, as long as they're not in the VIP, where you know you sit down and then you see the screen actually adjust to the proper aspect it's ratio. The best feeling, dude. Yeah. When that happens, when you're and it changes, it's the best. All right, uh, we'll quickly. Um, we got to. We're an hour in, and we got to start flying through this. So uh, let's go into staying at home. I'll fly through my uh, digital picks, and then you can fly through your. Um, Blu-ray picks. On a wing and a prayer. Uh, Doctor Sleep, $10 in 4K right now. Aquaman and Shazam 2-pack in 4K, $20. Spider-Man Far From Home 4K, $10. Spider-Man. So emotional. Uh, Spider-Verse 4K, which is playing at the Cinesphere in like a week. You guys should go check that out. I'll be there. Um, $10 in 4K, or get this. Uh, Sicario, Day of the Soldado. Uh, didn't love this movie, but $7 in 4K. Uh, I thought it was okay. It's okay, yeah. Uh, it's, it's fine. fine. But it doesn't hold a candle to uh, Sicario. Uh, Escape Room in 4K is $10. I don't know. <laughs> uh, and Starship Troopers in 4K is uh, under $10 right now. So The only good bug um, is a dead bug. I think those are uh, my picks of the week for stuff you guys should pick on the Apple TV store. That's usually – that's my go-to. So apologies for everyone who doesn't use that for their digital movies. But that's where I buy all my stuff because – 4K Dolby Vision, Dolby Atmos, you can get that on Apple TV 4K. You have two picks this week, Eric. Yeah, uh, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood on 4K and Knives Out on 4K. Uh, I really do want to watch Knives Out again. I keep, I'm itching. I hover over the purchase button on Apple TV because it's $17 on Apple TV in 4K, which is pretty good. And then Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, one of my favorite movies of last year and one I, I think personally one of the best movies of the decade even. Uh, which I keep itching to rewatch. Have you rewatched it yet? No. Not yet. Cool. Uh, all right. Moving on to uh, some talking trailers. Um, where do you want to start with that? Start with the big one. Candyman? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Where do you want to go? French Dispatch, Green Knight, Candyman, Run? Uh, let's start with uh, Mr. Wes Anderson. Okay. Let's start with the the French Dispatch. So this is a trailer that dropped... Oui, oui. Uh, a week or so ago, we were yeah. we didn't record, but um, dude, I'm all in. I'm yeah, like, I mean, it's a Wes Anderson movie. Yeah. <laughs> if there ever was one, yeah, um, seems like after you know, uh, Isle of Dogs and Grand Budapest and Moonrise Kingdom. Well, I, I think gone, Fantastic Mr. Fox was the beginning probably, of like yeah. his truly kind of his full form, <laughs> his his the cartoonish of, his live action cartoon phase, yeah. right? Which like is he, I I'm all in on. Yeah, that, no, yeah. I am as well. I, I I like those movies, but you can definitely tell there is a clear delineation between both, you know. Bottle Rocket and Rushmore and the Royal Tenenbaums. Even the Royal Tenenbaums has obviously the quirky qualities to it, but there, it's still there was still some sort of of human sort of realism there to a certain extent, or the the world around these characters was a real setting. Now everything is just a like, cartoon. Yeah, it's it's in the mind. You are basically seeing in the mind of Wes Anderson, and I'm all in on. Oh, that. I am like, too. Uh, cast is incredible. Love the look. It does very much remind me of Grand Budapest a lot. Um, uh, Timmy C's in this. And yeah, Stellar looking like this. a Sergey Einstein. Sure. Yeah, Bob Dylan a little bit. I got from the big hair. Well, Sergei um, Einstein as well. Yeah, I know, the director yeah. of Battleship Potemkin has that yes. kind of style because a lot yeah. of people also said Eraserhead. Yes, I saw those uh, comparison photos too. 
Um, but no, this looks great. I'm I'm all in. There's not much else to say about it other than it's I'm excited Anderson. about Benicio Del Toro yeah. in this. Um, Sicario or, himself. Um, of what's it? Prison uh, prison cooking or something? Or what no, no, that? he's he's the artist. Uh, yeah, I know. But the the other thing that made me laugh, in which the, is Stephen Park, who is in uh, Fargo. Oh yeah, cool. Uh, no. I keep watching this trailer over and over again. Yes. Uh, can't wait. Also has the, um, the, the honor of being on the Untitled Movie Podcast 20 most anticipated movies of 2020. Yep. Um, the Green Knight. Speaking which, of trailers, I've watched many, many times. The Green Knight? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Dude, I'm all in on this. Dude. I am so excited. It's like an 80s fantasy. David the, Lowry. Yeah, 21st century. Uh, Dev Patel. Um, yeah, it looks dope, man. Yeah, it looks Joel Edgerton, really cool. Alicia Vikander. Um, you have the classic story of Sir Gawain or Sir Gawain, I think is how you pronounce it. Um, I was reading about that story afterwards because I, I never, I mean, I know obviously the classic tale of of King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table, but I had never read this specific story before, so I, I did either, afterwards. Yeah. It's out there. Yeah. Like, there's stuff in there that is just so bizarre. And I'm like, visually speaking, it's going to be interesting to see how he pulls this off and or how he plays with what is kind of written. Um, yeah, like, it looks like something in the vein of Excalibur or uh, John Borman's movie or, you know, like, weirdly, like, Crawl or any of those fantasy 80s Beastmaster where it's like it's playing with practical effects and sort of, you know, the Arthurian sort of mythology, but doing it in a way that kind of feels fresh and interesting. Like, it almost weirdly looks like a Guillermo del Toro movie. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I'm, I think it looks rad. I can't wait. Uh, Candyman, the trailer dropped today. Just uh, say the name. Five uh, times, don't say it. Su-su-studio. Um, um, I'm terrified of bees, uh, so I will be terrified of Candyman. I don't yes. know why I'm terrified of bees, but for some yeah, reason, yeah, bees—they're they're nicer than wasps or hornets. They're not as aggressive. They kind of mind their own business for the most part. Yeah, um, you know more about Candyman. Yeah, than I do, so but, I mean, uh, are it, you psyched for this? Did you dig this trailer? Or yeah, what? I did, and 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 I like the uh, Bernard Rose movie uh, based on Clive Barker's uh, original novella, um, which. At that time in the in the early nineties, I mean the novella was written, I believe, in the late eighties, around the time that Hellraiser was, you got the sense that like them uh, taking this story and making it a, a very American, very much uh, you know, a story of race at the time and sort of looking at it from the point of view or the perspective of a white woman of privilege and Virginia Matson being in the original and back again in in this one. I think playing a different role unless there's a reveal that she is the same character, but I don't think that's likely because of what happens in the original Candyman. Um, the tone is very much in the same vein. And as they are saying that it is a spiritual sequel to the original movie, it gets the idea that, you know, a myth can be something that, is brought into this world or is brought into, you know, a, the, the, the environment that it's kind of created in, in, in a sort of interesting manner and watching 
the original last year because it was released through uh, Scream Factory on Blu-ray for the first time. It had been, I think, on uh, Twilight Times Blu-ray label before then. It is such a violent movie, but at the same time, it had a social relevance, and it made like it makes perfect sense that Jordan Peele is producing the film. And I'm wondering how violent this version will end up being, because it goes to some pretty dark places. Yeah, and like I mean, it, it doesn't get into until the second movie. That's the other thing. Like, how much are they going to take from the the sequels that were? direct-to-video movies where like bill condon directed candy man farewell to the flesh where we got the backstory of you know the titular candy man played by tony todd in the original movies falling in love like the character falling in love with a white woman and being brutally mutilated and tortured by those at a time where you know interracial relationships were not accepted mm-hmm. and so his hand was cut off and his body was smeared in honey and then the bees no yeah. no thank you it, you would not have a good time watching that movie um but again like it's just it's fascinating to see something like this get redone and also seeing a lot of these classic 80s 90s villains horror movie icons getting remakes like yeah. child's play last year and you know this and you know even with you know the friday the 13th and and nightmare on elm street and how halloween even halloween coming, yeah right. and how these legacy movies are kind of playing out in an interesting manner and like there's more reverence being sort of put into those movies like you, you feel watching that candy man trailer the new one that the people that are making it respect the previous film where when, you know, the original Halloween was being made or the original Candyman, it was like, okay, we're just making like, you know, a, a slasher flick that'll play to a Friday night crowd and make some money. And that's right. it. Yeah. Same way with comic books, like comic books were made to make money. And now they're being made into these serious blockbuster entertainments. And you Epic see the way that like David Gordon Green treated Halloween with you know respect because he grew up with it and it's the same way that you know this production looks to to be going down yeah totally i think it looks cool like i don't know much about Candyman, but like i uh, i love jordan peele and i know he's only producing this but um i, I thought it looked rad i like yaya abdul mateen right yeah, yeah who um, also see uh, the second uh, the who second. seems to be Playing a very right similar ver- character, an <laughs> avatar to a legacy character, the yeah. way he did in, in Spoiler Watchmen. Yeah, I, I like him a lot. I do I too. I think he's going to be a big movie star. He's got he's presence. Uh, super into that. Uh, well, let's move on to uh, Run, um, which is uh, Ignesh, uh, what's his last name, who directed Searching. Searching with John uh, Cho. Ignati? No, I'll find it you out. You got to look it up, um, yeah. I thought this looked really cool. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm really curious about this one. Uh, Sarah Paulson as the titular run, <laughs> or as the as as the mother. It's weird because like watching the trailer, I was like, okay, this is. I mean, obviously, searching played up the found footage gimmick quite a bit with with you know the computers. Anish Chagnati. Yeah, with the computers, where this like seems to be Great more poster too. Yes, a straightforward, you know horror movie but it kind of weirdly reminded me of last year's ma where like it's opening in may and it looks like it's playing to that kind of like twisted 
child being kind of held prisoner in in against their will misery kind of scenario um but i wonder how it will do because searching was one of those movies that played really well at sundance and seemed to have good word of mouth opening in august which not a lot of movies can really pull off especially smaller films but this almost feels like it could get lost in kind of like the glut of summer movie season be like a weird like oh you know because this is coming out around the same time as 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 saw so yeah and they're both lionsgate films right so it's interesting to put yeah. those against each other maybe they don't feel like they're competitors but right i don't know just in terms of genre stuff so um yeah i'm i loved searching i thought it was a, a huge pleasant surprise so i'm definitely interested to see i uh, what uh, he's doing, but horror's hot right now, man. Like you know, the Invisible Man run. Go check out our review. Brahms, the man. boy too. Uh, and then finally, uh, Cursed Films, which is uh, uh Jay Cheel's new series on Shutter, uh, got its first trailer. Uh, it's a documentary series that's going to be focusing on a bunch of different films in their cursed productions. Yeah. Uh, um. Uh, looks rad. If you guys haven't seen Beauty Day or How to, how build, to build a, a time, time machine, machine, you definitely should. This very much uh, continues his style that he's definitely defined in those two movies. At least I even see that in the interviews in the 239, uh, you know, uh, anamorphic widescreen. Well, even that one shot of like, the Exorcist poster, which yeah. you know that they shot, you know, like as a scene, like it's not archival footage and like that flashing red light yeah or the helicopter shots that we saw even in how to build a time machine yeah probably uh, drone shots most yeah, likely, yeah yeah um, um yeah i i think jay's a, a great director and i'm i'm very this all and a great to, podcaster too. yeah a great podcaster yeah, yeah. and uh, i think uh, i'm definitely very excited to check this out like it seems like i haven't watched much on shutter but like this sounds interesting enough as a documentary series. That, yeah, like, and, and he like knows what he's doing. I mean, he also did the interviews. So, like, sitting down with people like Richard Donner, who does not give a shit, and about, like, him talking about, like, yeah, I was going to get the omen made if, you know, I don't believe in the Antichrist and all this kind yeah. of stuff. Like, like that is very intriguing. And he also, must have had a time of his life on this shit. Oh, I, 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 absolutely. Very I stressful, mean, I'm sure, too. Yeah, yeah, especially with, you know, the editing process of it all. Because I mean, I'm you sh- listen to Film Junk. Did he take any time off for this? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was going to L.A. a lot to to do these interviews and and sort of talk to people. But it also was very hush-hush for a while. And when he kind of presented it, he was like, okay, this is a series for Shudder. And learning about that, it's it's interesting as well because there are two episodes of it that are playing at South by Southwest. Oh, cool. So I I wonder how that will play on the big screen. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it would look great. Oh, yeah. yeah. So I would love to see that. Hopefully Lightbox or something. Yeah, and we should mention some of the cursed movies are Poltergeist, The The Twilight Zone, The Omen... Uh, Twilight Zone, the movie, yeah. and some, and and the Crow, and some movies are cursed based on the myth that's built around them on you know the internet and the cult that surrounds them through fandom, and then some of them are based on tragic incidences, whether they be on movies like Twilight, uh, Twilight Zone, the movie, or The Crow, and and again, like speaking of you know uh, Candyman, sort of perpetuating that myth, like. It's, you know, these stories, like, I remember the stuff with, with Poltergeist, like, the thing is, like, after every movie, someone from the cast died, up until the third one, where Heather O'Rourke, the little girl, 
you know, who touches the TV and says, like, they're here, died after, like, during the making of the third film. It's crazy, yeah. Yeah, so. The poltergeist is one of them, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, it's a like that's so the first one after the first one was made um the 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 older daughter the actress I yeah, can't remember I, her name yeah. she was stabbed to death by her boyfriend Crazy. um Will Sampson and Julian Beck um died of uh one died of of complications to surgery lung surgery and the other one died of cancer uh Julian Beck was a much older man though at the time mm-hmm. and then at the end of the shooting the third one like right in the final couple of weeks, Heather O'Rourke was having stomach pains and had to go to the, the hospital. They and took her died. and yeah. she died. That's crazy, dude. I can't. And I, she yeah. was just a kid still. Very excited to watch uh, that show. Uh, all right. Let's move on and fly through some of this news. The first uh, piece that I wanted to talk about was the Batman uh, camera test. So, um, Speaking of your DCEU uh, yeah. watching. Uh, and something Todd Phillips did with the Joker movie as uh, as well. Um, well, Birds of Prey did it. Birds too. of Prey yeah. did this as well. Yeah. So it seems like this is the new thing for DC where they reveal the look and feel kind of of the movie and of the costume with this camera test. It had Michael Giacchino's score in the well, background. Well, it also cuts um, faster because you know you're going to get like the onset photos. Yeah. So, so you might as well get beat it them out to the there, punch. Right? And I get that Warner Brothers has been doing a good job with that that stuff. Um, I liked the look. I loved the gun. Uh, uh, the gun being used as the uh, the bat symbol. People were hypothesizing that it it seems like it's the gun that Joe Chill uses to kill his parents that this Batman uses in his bat symbol on his suit, which I th- thought was super rad. Thought Robert Pattinson has the right chin for it. Um, this Batman fucks. Yeah, this Batman does fuck. And I liked the kind of, it felt like um, if anyone's played like the Arkham games for PlayStation and stuff like that, it felt like it was a more tactical bat suit kind of thing. Right. Um, I, I dug the look. I liked Michael Giacchino's uh score in the background the red lighting was really dope and um, yeah uh, greg frazier um, yeah. cinematographer lit that as well yeah that looked great yeah same i'm 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 excited to see the movie and and to see where it's going um it'll it, I, I think there's going to be a few other surprises in that movie like i was reading like someone was saying like oh they saw john malkovich on set and it's yeah. like so maybe they're setting up even more characters for the second and third. They have movie probably even and, smaller roles than yeah. the ones that are actually cast in the movie. Yeah, yeah, that'll be dope, man. I I can't wait. I think it'll be great. You talked about uh, let let me in earlier, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, I think Matt Reeves. I love his Apes movies, and I and Cloverfield's great, and I'm so down for this Batman movie. Uh, the big one this week, uh, looks like James Mangold is going to take over for Indiana Jones five, uh, replacing Steven Spielberg, which is interesting because I mean, obviously it's, it's big news considering that, you know, of all the movies that Spielberg has made, the only sequels that have continued on are Jurassic Park, Jaws and Indiana Jones. Of those three... He only does the second one for... He only does the second one for Jurassic Park, (laughs) had no interest in the Jaws sequels whatsoever, and Indiana Jones is the one that him and George Lucas have been working on together throughout the entire series, even, you know, being executive producers on the Young Indiana Jones series. And so, for him to say, you know, I got to pass the reins down to another to another filmmaker and see their interpretation 
it would that line of thinking or that what came out in the press release through variety would make more sense if it was Jurassic Park, right? Because you can bring in new characters and new stories and things yeah. like that. But since he's done all four of these movies prior, it's it's just an odd thing because you're thinking like is it is it because he's just too busy with, you know, finishing up West Side Story and he's also older now, he's 73 and so maybe he's being more considerate with what projects he's going to direct in yeah. the twilight of his career or is it because Her- maybe Harrison Ford is is also getting up there as well and I have a feeling Ford drops out too and they just do a reboot. Yeah, it, it but, to me at this point it feels like or it doesn't happen. I still don't think it's going to happen. It, like yeah. I think it's been too long. And again, Harrison Ford's 77. I get 77. the Logan thing, bring Mangold in, do a Logan right. kind of. And to be honest, like again, like I would have preferred to have Spielberg do it just for symmetry. But at the same time it's like, well, look how kind of mediocre kingdom of crystal skull was and it's like james mangold would be fine it's just strange that you the speculation behind it all is 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 intriguing because like why would spielberg let go at this point like what is the reasoning behind it i mean harrison ford even in interviews for call of the wild said like if the script's not in the spot that he wants it to be in like a couple weeks he doesn't know if it's going to go through so yeah. i think he was pretty open about that and he doesn't seem like the guy who would just come back with a new director just because um i don't know maybe but i i've never been a huge indiana jones guy so i'm kind of indifferent on the whole thing but i love um, the first three and, and and like those first three movies are are all timers for me but it's so yeah it's so interesting I've but just kingdom never of crystal skull is just like i didn't it's not good, but it's not the worst thing I've ever seen. Agreed. But at the same time, I weirdly liked it the most. I'm not like completely disappointed. I'm surprised, but I'm not completely like, oh, you know, like Spielberg not directing another Indiana Jones movie that sucks. Or though it could turn out to be the same thing with like maybe he'll maybe Spielberg will step back in again. I I don't know. It's it's so like I would love to actually just know what's going on behind the scenes with that yeah it would be fascinating and i because mangold also was working on the force with um matt damon the don winslow uh police uh epic yeah who knows man uh no time to die's runtime marks the longest james bond movie ever it's two hours and almost 50 minutes here we go with the (laughs) longest running time again it's funny because again every time you have a movie like yeah that's probably way too long for even a bond movie but i love it when you hear these running times be announced online and how people react it's like it's the end of the world and like <laughs> they don't know how to you like, get more movie more bang for your buck well, no, man. It's like, i don't know how if i'm gonna make it through or not it's like we just did this last year We've with both the irishman and, yeah. and avengers endgame yeah this you're, is actually shorter than those movies yeah you'll be fine i'm i'm psyched yeah I don't know, two hours 50 minutes give it to me i'm i'm 100 yeah right. i mean i think it needs to be that length just to have a proper send-off as well so yeah yeah i agree uh bob Iger steps down as disney ceo and bob chapik to succeed him bob chapik being uh the guy who ran the disney parks for the last, um, I think six plus years, but he's been in the Disney family for a while. So from one, Bob yeah, he did to home video Bob. as well for yeah. a little bit too. So and um, Bob Iger is still going to be running the company essentially until 2021 because uh, this guy will report into Bob Iger. 
um, Bob Iger being, I guess, like the chief executive and this guy being the CEO under him or something. Um, so Iger's going to still handle all the creative stuff. And this guy's just going to take more of the day to day of the CEO work off of his hands. Um, it's interesting. I mean, Bob Iger's made a huge impression, obviously, probably the biggest impression out of any, you know, high up CEO of, of a company in Hollywood, probably of the last 10, 20 years. So, yeah. um, it'll be interesting to see what happens when he steps down and what this guy, uh, ends up bringing to Disney and ladies and gentlemen, Miss Nevis hiding. How hey. is, how is Emma? She says it was delightful. Eric talked about it on this episode as well. Um, oh yes, Eric last week. It. it starts off kind of slow. And didn't starts off slow. Did not hook me right away, listeners. Did not hook her right away, but uh, it ended but up being delightful. Um, you said I, you sent me a sweet video of some Agatha, not Agatha Christie. <laughs> <laughs> Um, anything that has period is just, like period costumes. It's, is like it's all the same yeah. thing. It's just what default. It? Some people were like playing a fiddle or something. You sent me a video of people. Performing Did you go to the World's Fair recently? Oh, oh. Jane, Jane Austen, Austen fiddlers or something. <laughs> Jane Austen fiddlers. <laughs> oh, they were dancing. So where did the fiddles come from? Was it like a music? It just said a CD player or something. Oh, cool. All right. We're talking about Bob Iger. What do you think about him stepping down? Uh, I'm new Bob. Yeah. Oh, new Bob. That was good. New Bob. New Bob. But how how old is new the Bob? Other Bob? Yeah. He's probably looks like he's in his fifties, maybe. Uh, how old's Bob Iger? He's not that old. Or maybe this guy's in his forties. No, he's got to be older than yeah. that, right? I, I don't know. I liked Bob. So, so do I. Pleasant. We um we watched the. Yeah, I was talking to someone about Imagineering Story and one day at Disney at work and I'm like, because I work in like branded content um, and marketing and I'm like, that's like a brilliant branded content piece. Like it's a piece of marketing for the Disney parks, but it's also a great piece of entertainment. And same with one day at Disney is just a recruitment tool, but um, they're very good at taking over the world. That's for sure. Um, There's a new Star Wars movie in the works from... uh, the director of Slight and the writer of Luke Cage, uh, supposedly. This is not confirmed by Star Wars yet. Uh, the gentleman's ma- name is J.D. Dillard, and the writer is Matt Owens from Luke Cage. Yeah, it, it, I mean, Dillard actually was is one of those guys that kind of after Slight came out was supposed to be like the next big thing and like a lot Did of you see Slight? No, it was it, it didn't even get a theatrical release in Canada. WWE films. <laughs> um Yeah, it, it, he was supposed to kind of be like the next big filmmaker and a lot of studios were offering him projects. He was going to direct the next remake, because it's already been remade, of The Fly. Oh yeah. And that never kind of happened and that's was at Fox and that kind of fell through. And so this, to me, sounds like the same kind of situation that Ryan Johnson was in before, that Taika Waititi has been rumored to be in, where it's like they're just kind of fielding pitches at and this point and, and, stuff and, like and that. seeing yeah. what one might work, you know, when they're setting up either a new trilogy or a next continuing story. Like, yeah. it, it, it's... I I think it's true. I think that they probably had a meeting, but oh, it doesn't yeah. mean like oh that this is going to actually be, be developed. Or, yeah. yeah, it might eventually happen if they like the ideas and the script. But I totally understand what you're saying. 
Um, Jurassic World 3's title is revealed. It's called Jurassic World Dominion. Not directed by um, Paul Schrader. No. Uh, directed by Colin Trevorrow returning. Our boy Joseph um, Mazzello might be in the movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he tweeted out, it's time to get back to work. He hasn't said anything since then, and there hasn't been any news. But They played Starkid um, at uh, the Royal in 35 know, millimeter. Go. We were just talking about that, right? Didn't you? Isn't that the movie you brought up to him? Oh, yeah. We talked yeah. about it. It was That's good. Dope. Um. I don't know. I'm weirdly. I just love Jurassic Park, so I'm kind of excited for this. And if it's going to be this like post-apocalyptic world where dinosaurs are just ro- roaming around, kind of like Planet of the Apes style, except the dinosaurs don't talk, um, except for that one in Jurassic Park Three. Yeah, Alan. Alan. Um, I I just think it's funny that it has the same subtitle as uh, Paul Schrader's The Exorcist Dominion. Sure. Um, I'm gonna skip that because it's not about movies. Because I want to fly through this stuff. Uh, Mission Impossible 7's uh, filming has halted in Venice due to coronavirus concerns. Cool. <laughs> yeah. We're going to be there in four months, three months. So hopefully that gets cleared up by then. <laughs> uh, yeah. Maybe they'll be filming when we're uh, flying in for our wedding. Um, which happened, wasn't Spider-Man? No, it was filming like right after we left in Venice. Well, at that point, um, though, as well, Cruz will be... Doing junket uh, coverage for um, Top Gun. Top Gun, yeah, yeah. This um, it seems like each Mission Impossible movie has some sort of shit storm that has to halt production for a little while, but they somehow get it done. So, right, um, it's the magic of Scientology. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I mean, this coronavirus stuff, we could go deep into it because, like, there's a lot of stuff going on with San Francisco um, declaring a state of emergency, even though they haven't had one confirmed case. Uh, they're canceling a bunch of these video game events that are supposed to be happening there because more and more people are dropping out of it. So it's, it's, it's weird. Cause like, again, I never know whether this is blown out of proportion or is it like an actual threat or if it's just like, yeah, if you have a weakened immune system, just like don't get the flu. Right. It's like, it's just a version of the flu, right? A more severe version, but yeah. Um, it's well, kinda... no, I think, I think you kind of nailed it with like the media aspect of it. It's like. You know, it, it's always good to be precautious and 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 you know consider getting a flu shot or 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 you know washing your hands more constantly, things like that. But at the same time, it's like you don't want to take it to a point of fear mongering, right? Where it just becomes sort of life consuming and it just takes over your daily routine. Mm-hmm. You know, and and you know don't watch Contagion, maybe. <laughs> yeah, which you just did. I know. Uh, Chris Evans is going to be in Little Shop of Horrors. Yes, he's um, going to be playing the uh, the, the role dentist, that Steve right? Martin played yeah. in the Frank Oz version. Have you seen the Frank Oz I version? I love it, dude. Uh, I haven't so seen it in a long-ass time, but I remember as a kid loving Little Shop of Horrors. Because also, um, I remember my friend CJ, his brother, was big into theater, and he put on a production of Little Shop of Horrors. And um, I uh, they had the big uh, plant. Audrey, and, too, yeah. Yeah, and... Um, uh, they had this piece that they built for the stage show that he was doing. So his dad for Halloween put Audrey two, Audrey two, Audrey two, um, in their on their front porch, uh, through the window of the front of me. Their, yeah, and he did that on Halloween, and he had this giant um, uh, Audrey two, and it was dope. So, uh, did also, he sing a uh, big green mother? I don't know. Maybe he had the soundtrack playing. Uh, but Scarlett Johansson is also in the film, as well as Taron Egerton. So, yeah. Um, as Seymour and Audrey. 
Uh, Billy Porter's playing Audrey too. Yeah. Uh, I'm totally into this. Yeah. Love it. I mean, there will also, I'm sure, be a ton of cameos because in the original Roger Corman uh, version, uh, the uh, masochistic patient was played by Jack Nicholson. And then in the Frank Oz version with Rick Moranis, uh, that character was played by Bill Murray. And then I might watch that after we're done. <laughs> yeah. And then you had people like John Candy and uh, Jim Belushi yeah. pop up and small support. Christopher Guest. Nevis, have you watched Little Shop of Horrors? Oh, we should watch it. It's fun. It's a lot of fun. And and that that role that Evans is playing, I mean, Steve Martin, like, really hammed it up, and he's only in the movie for maybe about, like, five, ten minutes, but, like... We'll probably give him a little bit more time here, but... Yeah, but he really makes it work, and, like, just, like, it'll be interesting seeing him kind of play this, like, smug asshole. Yeah. Uh, Three Billboards director Martin McDonough is going to reteam with Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson for his next movie. Yes, the In Bruges boys are back in town and they're going to be hanging out again. Do you know what the movie is? It's about two friends that have a falling out and sort of the ramifications of that. Cool. I love Three Billboards. Uh, I like Martin McDonough a lot. Um, I was one of the people who kind of really enjoyed seven psychopaths weirdly didn't like in Bruges all that much um that is weird yeah but i think i need to go back and revisit it but you just um, didn't see the swans sure uh don't even know what he's referencing to in Bruges. uh yeah i know but i don't know what part of ray fines yeah uh variety quotes uh the movie follows two lifelong pals on a remote irish isle at an impasse one abruptly ends their friendship resulting in alarming consequences for both cool I'm in. Um, and then finally, uh, you wanted to talk about this. David O. Russell has his next film, and it's going to star Christian Bale, Margot Robbie, and Michael B. Jordan. Uh, he hasn't directed a movie in five years since Joy. Yeah. Well, I mean, part of that is, uh, you know, development issues with other movies, and, like, he was basically working from the Weinstein uh, studios at that point, And also, you know, some problematic things that have come up in his past as well. Um, it'll be interesting because it's supposed to shoot in April or early spring at some point. And if you look at American hustle, it'll probably be released by the end of the year, but it's so weird because like both, Silver Linings and The Fighter were so strong and those movies kind of were a reinvention of him as a filmmaker and being more of a kind of character-driven storyteller that once he kind of got into American Hustle and Joy, it kind of felt like he was so caught up in the awards and, and sort of his own hype that it kind of undersold that kind of style that he was going for originally and then also basically parodying himself i agree and then it seems like he's also courting michael shannon mike myers and robert de niro for the film as well um yeah i agree i really liked both the fighter and silver linings playbook uh disliked joy quite a bit as well as american hustle um so i mean hit or miss those last four movies i mean two bangers and two complete duds for me so i don't know and he's supposed to be an asshole too isn't yeah he? yeah so i don't know i'm like i'm ex- i like this cast uh so i don't know if um what the hell it's about 
it's about like a doctor and a lawyer teaming up. The plot's being mostly kept under wraps for now. Okay, cool. Yeah, I think the title was originally Amsterdam or like the working title for it. Interesting. Yeah, I'll, I'm always curious of what he's doing, but um, the way people talked about him, I'm just like, I'm surprised people still want to work with yeah, him. Yeah, well, I mean, like like Amy Adams, you know, by the end of American Hustle wasn't even talking to him any- anymore, and she's even been very open that, like, you know, the work that she has done with him, she really respects and him as a filmmaker, but it would be pretty tough for her to go back to work with him again. Mm-hmm. And even Jennifer Lawrence is kind of like, and I don't know how, um, in today's day and age, a, guy, a person like that can continue on being like that. Right. Um, I don't know. I guess when you're quote unquote, not a genius, but like you are very good at what you do, you can. Right. But even then, that. I mean, like David O. Russell, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously he's even known for the sparring match him and, uh, Lily Tomlin had an I heart Huckabees and like. Apparently, even George Clooney doesn't like him that much, mm-hmm. and having directed Three Kings, and if you don't get along with George Clooney, I mean, like, yeah, come on, yeah. Um, all right, man. I think that's gonna wrap up this episode. Um, a little quick hour and a halfer. Um, now that we're back, um, well, we have some uh, reviews out there as well. We so. do. Thank you for the segue. Um, yes, we do have some new reviews out there right now. So, um. Please go check out our reviews for Onward, which should be either up or up very soon by the time you're listening to this. Uh, we have a review up for The Invisible Man, as well as Downhill, and um, what else did we record today? Uh, the uh, Call oh, the Call Wild. Call of the Wild. We have Sonic the Hedgehog. Um, we have Birds of Prey, Bad Boys for Life. Tons of stuff up on the reviews channel. That's Untitled Movie Reviews. Please go check out that channel. We would love for you to listen to those reviews. We review movies usually every week. We should probably be ramping up as the as the year uh, moves along. Um, so thank you guys for listening. Um, as always, my name is Matt Rohrbeck. You can find more of my work around the internet, but mostly at UntitledMoviePodcast.com. Uh, and you can follow me on all of the social medias at Matt Rohrbeck. I'm mostly bumming around. Uh, 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 letterboxed and Twitter. <laughs> My brain is fried. Uh, and please go follow uh, Untitled underscore cast on all the social medias as well. We're bumming around Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Eric's great on those channels. He posts every time we're at a movie screening or every time there's a review out or every time there's a new episode. So uh, keep it locked on those channels. Send us some things you want us to talk about or if we fuck something up, please go uh, bother Eric over on those channels there. Please don't. Uh, and please uh, rate and review both podcasts, both this channel at Untitled Movie Podcast and both our reviews channel. We would love it if you guys gave us a rating, hopefully five stars. If you've made it this far, um, I think you probably enjoy us. Yeah, consider us um, Uber drivers. We need those five yeah, stars. Yeah, we don't want to be those guys, but yes, please rate us. It really helps uh, us out. So we appreciate that. Um, thank you all for listening. And Oh, yeah. And I'm Eric Marchin. Uh, you can find more of my reviews at rogerstv.com slash cinemascene and on the social medias at EM6211. And until next week, I am your dentist.